0: Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1, and that's where we're going to start today. And we're in week 3 of our series, Holy Visitation. And we're actually going to read a good portion of John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is the prologue to what John sets up and and to what John is uh, trying to call us Uh, uh, here as as, uh, we read through the story of Jesus. John chapter 1, in verse 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He, saw, he was not the light, but he came to testify of or about the light. There was the true light which, uh, coming into the world, enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those were his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. Even those who believed in his name, who were born not of, uh, not of blood, nor of flesh, nor of the womb of man, but of God. This testifies to, I'm going to stop right there, this testifies to the idea that John talked about a light and in fact that's what we're going to talk about today the lights of Christmas. John talked about the idea that Jesus came to be a light. This prologue is all set up to show us that Christ is the light of the world. There's a very powerful truth here that the light which gives light to every man has come into the world. That's why we actually put lights around a Christmas tree. This prologue of John speaking to the light of the world is why that we hang candles in our in our window panes during the christmas season it's why men have fashioned creative ways to show off light to the world in fact we'll get into the colors and why they're so very important the colors that we see lit up throughout christmas if there's anything that characterizes christmas i'd have to say it's the concept of light we want to see the twinkling lights at christmas time right We want our neighbors to decorate their houses while we decorate ours. We're the dark house on the block. Some of you, maybe you have that neighbor that doesn't put anything on the outside. Lori does a phenomenal job on the inside, and we haven't done anything on the outside. Sorry for our neighbors. But some of our neighbors have these beautifully lit up homes, and they're just twinkling with these very starry lights of Christmas. And it gives us hope, and it gives us reason to believe that when we see those lights, there's a purpose that's far beyond just decoration. When we talk about the light of Christmas, I want you to understand it's about receiving the light of Jesus. Whether it's for the first time or maybe it's for it's a renewed sense of your commitment to Christ in your current situation. The light is what is what gives us hope. The light is what gives us warmth. We give give testament to the idea of light when we say there's light at the end of the tunnel. That when we go through something difficult or hard or a hardship in life, we can see hope there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's this concept that light brings us to a place where darkness is dissipated. We understand that it's very simple to light up a very dark room with a simple match if light is expelled from a room, if the, there's total darkness, almost like we've tried to do by blocking out half the windows here, when there's almost total darkness and you light that small match, it illuminates the, lo- the room because light gives hope. It gives purpose. It gives guidance. Everything that has to do with Christmas lights is about the concept that there is hope and there's a story to be told in each individual color of those strands Traditionally, the Christmas lights go as in this particular order. There's purple, there's amber, there's green, there's gold, there's blue, there's white, and there's red. These are the traditional Christmas lights or colors of light of Christmas. The first one I want to talk about is the, the purple color or the color of royalty. It gives us a sense of the prophetic nature of who God is, that he came, this Jesus, swaddled as a baby, laying in a manger, clothed in flesh and blood, that he came to fulfill the prophetic word of God. That Christ came in his royal nature to fulfill every promise that God had spoken to his people. These prophecies were so numerous in number that they literally talked of the fact that he would be born of a virgin. They talked about his literal placement of his birth, the town that he would be birthed. And they talked about so many other nuanced ideas of the birth of Christ. And they couldn't have happened just by chance. They couldn't have happened just by chance. On a whim it had to be intentional that God would send his son at a specific place at a specific time through a specific couple and that they would bring forth a very prophetic prophecy a very prophetic understanding that the royalty of heaven had finally met earth many of us can relate to the idea of long-held prophecies or promises that have been put off for man sometimes many years In fact, the people of God had been hoping for their savior for hundreds of years. There was a dark spot between the Old Testament and the new where God had seemed to go quiet for hundreds of years. And they were hoping for the time that their savior would rise. In fact, they waited their Messiah with such anticipation that before Jesus, there were at least three historical figures who came who claimed to be Messiah. The last was the name Judah the Hammer. And he was such an important historical figure that he even tried to have coins minted in his name and in his likeness and he was hoping to be the Messiah of God's people yet his reign fell quickly. He was demolished and overthrown by the Roman army because God's people were looking for someone to fulfill all of these prophecies, all of these promises, but they looked in the wrong way, in the wrong vantage point. They were hoping that a king would come riding In on a white horse, ushering a horde of an army and overthrow the Roman rule. Yet they found Christ come as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. But that prophecy that he fulfilled in that manger was very, very important. It spoke to the royal nature of who he really was. That Christ wouldn't strip himself of his his divinity. Yet he would wrap it in human flesh so that you and I could have a different picture of what it is to be made human. The second color that we look at is the light of the star or the amber color of the sun. The magi, these wise men looking and seeking to find this coming king. As they looked on the night sky, they saw a specific star and they headed towards that star. They knew that there was something specific about that bright amber color that hung in the night sky. They knew there was something very specific about that amber tone that drew them to a place to worship the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In fact, the Magi actually asked this question, where is he who was born king of the Jews, that we've seen his star in the east, that we've come that we might worship him? As part of the Christmas story, we understand that men came from afar off, roughly some 2,000 miles away into the east. They came to find this baby, this king, This man, God, who would come to set humanity free. And they came and they found a baby laying in his mother's arms. I'm sure they were anticipating a strong king, a king sitting on a throne. I'm sure they were anticipating a king with scepter in hand. But they came and found this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. But Numbers 24 and 17 talks about the prophecy that he wouldn't come exactly as they anticipated and he wouldn't come in the air in which they were hoping. In Numbers, we read these words, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A specter shall rise from Israel and shall crush the forehead of Moab, and tear down the sons of Seth. This prophecy was fulfilled, even though it was written hundreds of years before his birth in Numbers, that the prophecy was still made true when Jesus came, and these magi were coming to pay homage to that prophecy, that there would be a star, or there would be a specter, or there would be an amber light that they would chase, and it would crush, it would crush the opposing armies of God's people. And in fact, we see this man made manifest in the person of Christ that he has literally come to crush the oppression in your life. The Magi didn't understand exactly what they were worshiping when they followed that star. They didn't exactly understand how this prophecy would come to be, but they understood one thing that wrapped in that baby was the potential to crush any oppression that would rise up against God's people. That wrapped in that baby was the potential to crush anything that would oppress itself against our lives. When we look at the amber colors of the Christmas tree, we're reminded that God came. And that in his coming, in his fulfilling of prophecy, he comes as we seek his face to crush the oppressive spirit that would be in front of us. In fact, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 says it this way, For this purpose the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. When we see that amber color on our Christmas lights, we need to be reminded that that color signifies that Jesus came to win the battle, that he came to crush the works of our enemy, that he came to free us from our bondage, that he came to give us new life and new light. The third light that we're reminded of in the Christmas season is the color green. It's the color of evergreen. As we talked about the tree before, this concept of everlasting light. But it makes a statement that's far beyond just a, a, here by, a here in the by and by existence that we would find heaven as our home when this life is over. Although that is very true and we'll get to the statements of immortality later. Jesus came to give us an everlasting life. What that means is provision for all of life and the whole of life. That in this green color that we see wrapped on our Christmas light strand, that we're given the concept that God gave food for everything on planet Earth. You know, we're supposed to eat our greens as fuel for our body. Some of us do a really good job of eating our greens. Some of us don't. I don't do a very good job of that all the time. In fact, I like other things like meat and protein, and that's good for us. And I think it's like being a vegetarian because I think that cow ate grass and I ate the cow. So that's close enough, right? I'm that kind of vegetarian. My kids love green, they love to eat their greens. I saw Noble chewing on a green crayon the other day and his mother told him to spit that out. I'm like, come on, that's green, it's close enough. But the color green, this, this everlasting life is the provision that God has for us. Every time we see the color green in our Christmas lights we're to be reminded that the provision has already been made. That the promise of God for our future to be blessed and hopeful in Him has already been laid out. That there's nothing that this life could throw at us that God hasn't already made the provision for. There's a sense of everlasting life. In fact, we have this concept written in John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, verses that we've already read this morning. It says, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That in Him is the total vitality of all life. That when we see that green color twinkle in those lights that we understand that there's a vitality to life that is found only in Christ Jesus and it is the source for all of life. Anything that you're going through right now is the source of all life is found in Christ Jesus. And God wants us to help navigate this life and all of its complexities. You might be on a high, high, or you might be on a very, very low. But every answer that you need, every answer to every question is found in Christ. And not just the answer to your questions, but the provision to get you through. If you're finding it hard to get through this Christmas season, trust Trust in the everlasting nature of our God. Trust in his provision. Trust that he can see you through. He will give you raises, benefits, bonuses when you least expect it. He will give you a vitality in your body to get through sickness and pain and hurt. He will restore in you what the enemy is meant to steal from you. This is the everlasting nature, the paid for price that Christ gave on that cross. The next light that we look at is the light of glory or the glory of God. It's the it's the simple color of gold. Now, we don't necessarily see gold lit up like they used to see. In fact, when, when we had the first concept of Christmas lights, we had candles. And candles were wrapped around maybe cellophane or other jewels to give off different colors and lights. And if you were someone of great status, you had different ornaments that were wrapped in gold leaf, or maybe they're made of pure gold, but it, it shown the glory of God. In fact, it was it was such a a demonstrative display that in the Middle Ages, the king would walk around at the Christmas time. This is why we see we see uh, 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 city squares lit up, and he would give over his treasure trove of gold and allow people to look and to gaze on the wealth of the kingdom as they lit up the gold that represented their kingdoms. In fact, this is where we get the concept that the gold or the glory of God is shown through the color gold. Now, these men at that time used it for their personal purposes, to to bolster themselves and to show that, that they had the glory of God based on their wealth. But the concept remains that God's glory is shown through that color gold. That when we look on gold, that we see the promise of God's glory, the promise of His person. The promise that we read in Psalms chapter 8 and verse 4 and 5. If you have your Bibles, go and turn there. But the greatest glory that God ever gave man is not something wrapped up in things tangible like money. It's not something wrapped up in gold bars. It's not something that we would lay gold leaf over. But the greatest glory that God has ever shown humanity was you and I. In fact, in Psalms chapter 8 and verse 4 and 5, it says it this way. The psalmist looked up in the night sky and that he wondered, much like the magi, he saw the heavens in their expanse and I feel that there was a sense of revelation where God's glory was poured out on him. And he said, what is man that you take thought of him? What is the son of man that you even care for him? Yeah, you've made him a little lower. Your Bible might say the word God or it might say himself, that you've made him a little lower than yourself. You've crowned him a sense of gold and glory but it goes on to say you've you've crowned him with glory and honor I think better words there in a better translation would be dignity and worth that we think of the sense of the glory of God we don't think of his majesty enthroned on high but we think of the sense of God pouring his life into you and I that we have a sense of dignity and worth of glory and honor the psalmist was caught up in the concept God what am I what is humanity what are we as frail human beings that you even take a thought towards us that you would even have a plan for us yet you've given us glory and honor or dignity and worth I don't care what you've been through every time you see gold in the Christmas season especially gold lights it should remind you that you have value that you have worth that God has something for you of great value of great dignity that you are not just someone to be discarded, you are not just someone to be cast off, that you are in this life, on purpose, with a purpose. Every time we see that gold color, it shouldn't remind us of what we don't have, it should remind us of what we do have, the glory of God resonant on the inside of us. The Lord has come to bring us worth, value. He's come to show us and to restore in us the excellence that is you. The excellence that you are, that he created you for a purpose. Some of us need him in this moment like we've never needed him in our life, but that's okay. You only need him because he loves you. You only need him because he wants to woo you. You only need him because he wants you close. And let me tell you a secret. Every person in this room, whether they know it or not, needs him the way you do so desperately, so uniquely. That doesn't diminish your glory that doesn't diminish your value your dignity and worth that only raises you to a new standard that you finally drop the facade and say God I need your presence here in my life today every time we see that colored light of gold we should be reminded of the glory and honor the dignity and worth that's intrinsic inside of us that on our person is stamped the very image of God the imago Dei that on each of us is his fingerprint that he's carved us out in this world for a very specific purpose, and that he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you where you are. The next light that we're reminded of is the color blue. It's It's the light of the world. As John said, Jesus is the light of the world That we're reminded after we recognize our own glory and honor, our dignity and worth, that as we recognize the intrinsic value that's born in each individual person, that we have a job to do, that God set us on this people planet for a purpose, and that's that we would effectually seek and save those that are lost. That there's a hope of salvation that's found in one person, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, our Jesus who sits high on a throne. And that if we would understand the hope that we have of salvation in Christ Jesus, that we could literally take over this world like a coming flood. If you're unaware, this blue color is very hard to actually make manifest. There's very specific jewels that you have to have to make it work, sapphire being one of them. And a very clean and crisp version of sapphire And as you light a candle behind it, it glows brilliantly with blue lights. And even in some of the the cathedrals throughout Europe, you'll see these, these very small pieces of sapphire inlaid. In their stained glass. And it's the hope that we would be reminded that we have a purpose here on this planet, not just to pay bills, not just to plan for another vacation for our kids, not just to pay off a car, not just to buy a new house, but that we would seek and save that which is lost. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says it this way There is no other name given by which they or this world might be saved except the name of Jesus. We've seen recently in our culture, we've seen pop icons take on the name of Jesus and raise it high, a new standard and a new banner, and they're not afraid of the consequence or the outcome. When are we going to get as bold as a Kanye West and say, Jesus is king? And I don't know if you recognize it, but the new Kanye West album, Jesus is king, is literally gold calligraphy for the, name, or for the words Jesus is king with a very blue background symbolizing in his own words that the world must be covered in the glory of God. Think about this. A rap star who was so far from Jesus just 18 months ago now understands the, the symbolism wrapped up in our Christmas lights. The gold glory of God that each man must recognize that God has given them intrinsic worth and value, but the idea that it's for the whole. to see this world saved by the very power of Christ. Color number six is the idea of clarity or the idea of immortality. We can clear our heads and know that we have a purpose, that we have a position in Christ, that we know through this white color that we are not here on accident. You are here with an immortal or an eternal purpose that when you come to Jesus Christ, that you will live forever in heaven when this life is over. I have way too much scripture to get to. We're going to be here for hours and hours and hours. But this idea of making some light pure and white, again, a very difficult process. And they had to shade this light, this candlelight, because a candle wants to burn in this this very um, amber color. But to shade it white, they had to lay frosted glass over frosted glass and get the flame inside hotter and hotter and frosted glass and frosted glass and hotter and hotter. And it eventually bled out the amber color so we had this pure white that would come from the decorations. And in their making of these ornaments, The idea was that they could show off through a very, very hot flame the purity that comes in our immortal nature, that you and I, that you and I are called of God not to live this life for the here and now, but we're to live this life for a heavenly purpose. That we're not here to live this life just to facilitate our feelings here and today, but we are to live this life and see God and see our eternal purpose far off in the future. That we're to know that we don't live this life with the hope of this life, but we live this life with the glory of God, knowing that he has a purpose for us that's far greater than what we've ever tapped into. Whether you know it or not, you are sitting here today and you are never going to die. You are an immortal person right here, right now. You say, well, what about those who are far from God, Pastor? They're immortal. They just don't know where they're going to spend eternity. We have the choice to spend eternity here in a presence of like-minded people, connected with the Spirit of God, much like what we celebrate in church, where we would find heaven as our home as we worship Him forever and ever and ever and ever. Or we have the option to reject what we know of Christ to be true and that hell is a real place and that we would find hell for eternity. Now I hate to burst your bubble, but the reality of the Christmas story and the Christmas lights is this, God chose to make us immortal, but he gave us the choice to choose whether we find heaven or hell as our home. There's a doctrine going around Christianity right now, and it's catching like wildfire. And it's backed up by this, this fake and, and flimsy gospel of grace that, said, that says that, that if you don't choose God, if you don't choose Jesus, that your eternal nature fades away that you might experience hell, but it won't be forever. Hell will just be temporary and eventually, because God is so merciful and gracious, that he'll cut off the suffering and you'll just poof, disappear. There are many problems with that doctrine, but the least of which is this, it's not biblical. Jesus said that every single person is born with an immortal nature, that you and I are born with an immortal soul, and that if we give it over to Christ, that we will live forever that we will live for an eternity with him in heaven. But if we don't, there's a consequence to our choosing. In fact, that brings us to the next color. It's the color of warning, the color of red. That as our Christmas strands narrow towards the end, there's always that bright red color. Now, when red is wrapped around the evergreen, it's the concept of Christ's blood. It's the concept of our redemption wrapped in Jesus. But when it's lit up in a Christmas strand of lights, it points to a warning, to a very real warning, that this world must know that the only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. Listen, there are many ways to Jesus. You might find Jesus in a Baptist church, a Catholic church, an Episcopal church, you might find Jesus in a non-denominational church like this, you might find Jesus through the television, you might find Jesus through the radio, you might find Jesus through the scriptures, but Jesus is the only way to God. I don't care what the rest of the world says. Muhammad doesn't lead you to God. Krishna doesn't lead you to God. Peaceful statements reiterated over and over in our heart and our head do not lead you to God. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. But there are many ways, so many untold ways that people find Jesus. Folks find Jesus in dreams and in visions. Folks find Jesus in foxholes as they they pray wild prayers and hoping God will get them out of the jam that they're in. People find Jesus in any host of ways, and I don't care how they come, just as long as they come through Christ Jesus. But please understand the warning is that Jesus is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the light of men. There's so many things that obstruct people's clear view of who Christ is. Sometimes it's the way that people who claim to be Christian live out their life. Sometimes it's the way we represent Christ in ignorance and arrogance and confusion. And other times people, they they come to a, a brick wall when we mention the word Jesus, when we mention that name Jesus, because they're so angry at God for what they've gone through. And they want to blame him for all of life's troubles. God, if you were a good God, you wouldn't have let me go through that. If you were a good God, you wouldn't have have allowed this pain to come into my life. If you were a good God, you would have changed the station. Yet we know that in his good nature, in his loving nature, he allows us to choose And in allowing us to choose, sometimes we we fall prey to sin and temptation. And sometimes that sin and temptation has a negative outcome on other people and we hurt people inadvertently or on purpose. That there's a cycle of hurt that happens in life and it has nothing to do with God but everything to do with our choice. And this red is a warning to us. Not just that the world around us needs to be saved. Not just that those close to us need to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. But that if we aren't careful... That we can be those who inflict pain and hurt on a dying world who desperately need Jesus. Listen, I don't want to do anything that would ever turn anyone off to the gospel. But I will do anything, anything within our power to bring people to him. Listen, there are a bunch of folks who don't understand why we had a concert up here that looked like a rock concert last night. They couldn't understand why we had a drum machine and people singing and look like they're trying to glorify themselves. Look at those look at those artists. All they want to do is bring glory to themselves. They just want the crowd to clap for them. In fact, I had that comment in an email about this band. Listen, There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't bring good music in church. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't worship God with all kinds of different instruments. There's nothing in Scripture other than man-made tradition that says that we can't bring folks together and worship God with someone who's actually a good singer. In fact, I'd rather have a good singer than a bad one. Amen? I'll take a bad one who's wholeheartedly into it, but trust me, I'd much rather rather have Tabitha sing than me because if I sing, y'all ain't coming. (laughs) You'll come once or twice and maybe throw tomatoes at the show, but you ain't staying around. But there's nothing short of sin that we won't do to bring people into the gospel. That's why I don't ever bat an eye at how much money we spend on events. That's why I don't ever bat an eye about how much money we spend fixing up the kid's wing. In fact, in our near future, we're going to hollow out much of the basement if the plan goes according We're going to hollow out much of the basement and put in a facility for kids that we're extremely proud of. We've already been looking up what it would cost and what it would take to put in the soft play area so the kids can run in that basement and feel like they just have a Disneyland of their own in church. And why is that? Because the next generation matters. Because they need to have a good taste in their mouth of who Jesus is. Listen, this warning is something I want to hang on for a minute. There are so many things that we can do and we should do in church that we don't do because we're afraid of what somebody will say. I don't care what people think about us out there who are already saved. Let me help you out for a second. Anything that we do in church and anything we speak of from the pulpit is not so that people who are comfortable and who are saved and on their way to heaven, it's not so that you, those folks, those known as Christians, will like what I say like what we do. It's so that we can apprehend the heart of those who are lost and they come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And in everything that we do as Christian people, this is our warning that's shone brightly through this color red on our Christmas tree lights. Everything that we do, we need to make provision that those who are far from God see the grace of God in our life. Everything that we do, we should see to it that the lost world around us says, no, there's, there's something to be found in a relationship with Jesus Jesus came to be light and to be hope and to be life. Stop and consider for a moment just how dark the world is. Stop for a moment as you take your kids on a hunt for the best Christmas lights and Christmas displays in the Quad Cities. Stop for a moment and think about what all those colors actually mean. Why God would put on the hearts of men in history past to display his word in colors, in pictures, and in form that, that seemed to be well, they seemed to be just holiday decoration. Why would God inspire someone to blow a Snoopy up in their front yard with a, with a Santa Claus hat on it? Maybe it's the best injection point you have to talk to your neighbor. You know what that red hat represents? It represents a man, a man who loved God so deeply that he couldn't allow children to go without, and from the generous nature of his heart, he gave at Christmas time to those who didn't have. Maybe we, we, we see our friends as they light up their, their house for Christmas and we point out the many strands of light that they have hanging from their rooftops and, and lining their gutters and we say, listen, there's, there's a purpose behind those colors. They're not just there by happenstance, they're there for a reason. And each one of those colors has a purpose. Each one of those colors has a symbol to the story of Christmas. Maybe we take this red color as a true and honest warning that we have more ammo at our disposal than sometimes we allow ourselves to use. I don't care if Starbucks takes Christmas off their coffee cup, they still adorn it with green and red and holly and berries and we know we know the real story behind those symbols. Why not use what we have in our hands? Why not use what culture has given us? Why not use a simple merry christmas to change the world? This morning, I want to inspire you. I hopefully have inspired you that there's something in Christmas, in the symbols, in the people, in the lights of Christmas. There's something in this season of Christmas that matters. Next week, we're going to come just before Christmas. We're going to bring our Christmas offerings, whatever God's laid on your heart. We're going to celebrate. Kids will be up here dancing, singing, whatever they're planning to do. I'll have a shorter message on the letters of Christmas, And I'll talk specifically about letters that we see given throughout Christmas, the cards that we give each other and why they mean so very much. But in this moment would be a great opportunity for you to invite somebody who's far from God. In this moment, this Sunday before Christmas would be a great opportunity for you to tap somebody on the shoulder, a coworker, a friend, a family member and say, listen, you need to know what's going on in this church It's a Christmas season. It's going to be fun and cute with all the kids. I'm hoping one of them messes up and runs down the mommy or daddy or screams something crazy awful. I'm hoping something happens and they screw it up for Rebecca because it's so cute. Just, God, don't let it be my kids. (laughs) Declan's a good choice. Hey, he's cute, man. That little kid's got a will of his own. Anyway, hoping it's one of them. Doesn't follow the program. But more than that, I'm hoping that this is the hook that you understand that you can use to draw people into the kingdom. That this is the hook that you can use. My kids are gonna be in a program. Would you come see them? It's Christmas time, and maybe it's been a while since you've been at church, but it's a wonderful, beautiful time. The church is all lit up with lights and Christmas decorations. Would you please come with me? And if that doesn't work, just for those who are the hard cases, we're holding a service on Christmas Eve. There'll be candlelights and Christmas music. I promise it won't go more than about 30 minutes. And if I get really long-winded and feel the Holy Spirit 45 minutes, but it's not gonna be too long. We'll get you in and out. The point of that is to cap off your Christmas season, to really put a marker as a family that this is why we sing. This is why we come. This is why we celebrate. This is why we give gifts. Over the next... Over the next week or so, let it sink in. Who's God putting on your heart to call to be a part of our Christmas celebration? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a barista at Starbucks. Maybe it's someone in your kid's school and their class. In fact, Rebecca's handing out today little cards for the kids to give to their friends that they've been elfed. They've been invited by their church elf to come to church. Such a cute little invitation, and it goes so far with their friends. We're we're encouraging our, our, our kids to invite their friends in their class and in their school. And I want to encourage you during this Christmas season, what better time? See, there's a reality in church that there are people we call CEO Christians. Christmas and Easter only. They come Christmas and Easter only. That's the only time they're going to come. But it's a great opportunity to hook them in, to bring them in. Because you don't know the life change that can happen. You don't know what God could do in that one service. Through that song with that little kid that goofs off or through the preaching of the pastor, you don't know what God could do, what he could break through, break loose in their heart that would change them forever. So this Christmas season, think hard, think long, pray about who God's putting on your heart to bring. And if you feel like you're in a circle where everybody you know is saved and already on their way to church, then I'm gonna challenge you to do this. Go find and meet somebody new. By the way, if that's your bubble, you need to get out of your bubble. I'm not saying you need to be a bar hopper, but I am saying you need to get out of your bubble. You need to go find a place where you can connect with people who are far from God. It's one of the most dangerous things about coming to a life in Christ. We tend to get so insulated and don't know anybody who isn't a Christian, especially in the Western version of Christianity. Our churches are fun. They become family. They become a nucleus where we get all kinds of, of, of uh, uh, pump up and we get all kinds of, of rejuvenation, but they're not the place that we're to come to and just push the world aside. Listen, there's a lost and dying world out there and our motivation should be to go after them. Amen? Amen. Well, before we close today, again, I just want to say thank you to Tracy. Such a great job with the concert. I want to say thank you to everyone who decorated for the Christmas season. There's so many of you. I can't, I can't name everybody, uh, but you decorated so very well. Some of you that have already given towards the initiative of the Take Your Land initiative, thank you so much for that. As a pastor, I've been blown away over the last few months walking into this building. One that he's entrusted us to lead this group of people. It's still always a heavy burden. My knees still knock when I come up to the pulpit. It might not show very much, but I still get nervous. God, I'm speaking for you today, and I hope I do it right. I hope I do what you've called me to. But more than that, you've been so generous and so faithful. In fact, I can say this, that this year, we had a very hard downturn. And many of you don't know this because we don't share this often, because I promised you I wouldn't. I trust God more than I want to dig into your bank account. A certain portion of this year, everything looked like it was on a very heavy downturn. Attendance started coming down, money started coming down. It didn't look very good. In fact, I was wondering, well, we're gonna have to change a whole lot of things to make this turnaround. Then we found this wonderful new facility. All of a sudden, things started ticking out. Miraculously, God put on the heart of somebody in our community to pay off $8,600 in a debt that they didn't need to. They're not even connected to this church, but God put it on their heart to pay that off, and many of you were part of that story. Then, after our first service, we were given one of the largest gifts that we've ever been given in an offering. Not the total offering for the day. Just one person decided to give $22,000. It's a huge seat of faith. It's huge. It's huge. But more than that, God is working on the hearts and lives of people. We have seen folks come in these doors since we've been here whose story would rock your world. If I went through and started talking about the background of some of the folks that have come in here and decided to make Grace Family Church their home, in the last six months to a year, it would blow your mind. God is doing something amazing in this church and we're thankful to be a part of it. But more than that, we set our sights for the future. The last Sunday of December, I will talk about the goals and vision for 2020. I always do this. We'll set goals and vision for 2020. Now there's so many folks running out with a theme, 2020 vision, you know. It's like, could you be cornier? Like, come on Christians, marketing can get a little better than that. But we'll talk about some points where I see this church going in the future, but make no mistake about it, we're gonna fill this building, we're gonna fill it over and over and over again on a weekend. And after we fill this building, we're gonna build a big one back there in the parking lot. And to be honest, I can't wait for the day when we buy the two houses on each side of us and knock them down, because we need the parking. God didn't call us here for something small. He called us here for something big. But it's gonna cost each and every one of us time energy, our talents, our treasures, our prayer time, our fasting. It's going to cost us. Why? Because people are worth it. You were worth it. Somebody prayed and fasted for you. You were worth it. And somebody's praying in this room and fasting and giving for the next generation to come in these doors. And we're so very thankful that God's given us this charge. I don't get to do this often enough, but thank you. Thank you so very much for all that you've done for this church. You are such a huge blessing. Thank you.